dear young married couple, we know that the Bible has the answers for life, how to live a good life, except for sex. So we think. (laughs) And today we get to interview Kim Moore, who helps us realize that the Bible actually has so many answers for those questions that Christians have about sex. And they're answered in the Song of Solomon. She has studied every single word of the Song of Solomon in Hebrew and helps us unveil some of these euphemisms that we see in Song of Solomon. Yeah, the reason why we don't go to the Song of Solomon or the Bible for advice on our sex life is because um, the Hebrew is very difficult for us to understand in our you know, 2,000 years removed, or more than that actually, mm-hmm. removed from when a lot of the um, Old Testament was written. Yeah. But so much um, insight is hidden behind Hebrew euphemisms. So today, we're going to dig a little bit into the Hebrew to understand what exactly God is trying to tell us about this wonderful gift he's given us. And don't worry, just because Kim is a researcher and author, she does get practical and shares how this applies to our marriages today. She's a teacher at heart. She is from Tampa, Florida, and she's just a beautiful soul. Welcome, Kim, to the podcast. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Oh, well, I'm thankful you invited me. It's just a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Aw, for sure. Well, we're excited to dig into your research. We learned about you at a marriage retreat that uh, we did in Florida, and a gal came up and she's like, have you ever heard of Kim Moore? You gotta talk to her. Yeah. So we decided that we were gonna connect with you and have you on the podcast to share not just your research, but how it applies to our marriage today. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Again, I do believe that my book um, and my research really can set people free because I think when they see what I wanted as a young bride um, was answers out of the Bible. Because what I found was that I would read a lot of books about this because I backtrack a little bit. Um, This is really hard to hear, but my story basically, you know, our wedding night wasn't the best. Okay. I was only 19 at the time and it, it, it was a, a bit traumatic for me. And, um, so we got off to a real rocky start. And about six months after my husband and I were married, he asked me if I was gay. Hmm. And that was really, really hard to hear. And, and why I did he ask you that? What were some of his inclinations? Because I was so like, you know, I don't know if you can do this. I don't know. Is that okay to do? I mean, I was, I had only been taught in, in my life from my parents, don't. That was it. Don't. Um, if you ever get pregnant, don't come home. So don't. Ooh. And so, yeah, you know, was there was no, I didn't, wasn't raised in what I would call a Christian home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was just terrified, you know, I, I stayed good if for nothing else, not to get kicked out. Right. <laughs> so when I got married, I was going to church on my own. My husband and I were going to church on our own. And the only thing I ever heard from the pulpit was don't deprive. So now all of a sudden I went from don't to don't deprive. And I was kind of like, I need somebody to help bridge that gap. And I actually went to a woman in church, a married woman I had a good relationship with. We used to work in the nursery together. And I kind of was like, can we, you know, can we talk one day after nursery was over? And I I, I just said, I'm having some problems. And she looked at me like, (laughs) 
we don't talk about sex, yeah. especially in the church that. building. That's taboo. Yeah, it's like, and I was like, okay. And so then I thought I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll get counseling. Well, mind you, this was 1978. Okay. okay? So I went through the yellow pages and it was all men, <laughs> all men. And I'm like, this 19 year old girl is not going to go talk to some man about what I can't do in the dark with my husband, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like, forget it. So I started reading books and I found this one little book on the Song of Solomon, which was kind of like, it was really tiny little paperback. It helped. It was like, okay, sex is okay, but what can you do in sex? What what are the do's and don'ts? It didn't answer those questions. And so it still left me very confused. And, um, but I didn't find, I didn't go for this help until after my husband asked me if I was gay. Because mm. I just had so many hangups. I just, I couldn't walk from the bed to the bathroom without covering myself in a sheet. Uh, I mean, I had so many, so many hangups um, that it was just, it was just debilitating to our marriage. And I knew we weren't going to make it if I didn't get some help. And I found that paperback. The problem was when I found that paperback, I wanted more answers. It didn't, it wasn't, it was very incomplete. So I started trying to find other books. And back then one book would say, oh, this is okay. And approved by God. And the next book would say, no, it's not, that's bad. And then this book would contradict that one. And I ended up actually becoming more confused than, than, you know, being helped because nobody really had a basis for their opinions. Mm. They just had opinions. So how do we settle that debate? Well, and, and the, what happened to me when I did my research is I found, and I, I actually, not only did I find the these Hebrew customs and these Middle Eastern wedding customs that fit into the Song of Solomon, just like perfectly. They fit in the order that they happen. And if you understand what happens in these customs, you'll see that they actually fit into the the book, uh, The Song of Solomon. But at one point I was ready to publish this book and I thought it was all ready to go. And I was sending it to an editor and I heard God say, I don't think so. I want you to, I had dabbled in the Hebrew here and there. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to read and study every single word in Hebrew. Mm. And that's so what another you've done. Year, you have studied every single word of Song of Solomon in Hebrew. Everyone. Everyone. I love that. And I found things that were like I my <laughs> husband would be like, what'd you discover today? And some of them just completely blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And the story actually, it filled in a lot of the holes I had in the story by doing that. Mm-hmm. It was another year and a half worth of work to do that. And um, but I discovered so many of those answers that I were looking for all those, you know, taboo things like, you know, masturbation and oral sex and Mm -hmm. just so many of those topics that people would like a scriptural answer for. I think they will find that they're in the song of Solomon. It's just, they're hidden under Hebrew euphemisms. Mm -hmm. We have English euphemisms. We say the birds and the bees, you know, we call a woman, you know, we call a woman a cougar. We have these euphemisms. Well, they had them too. Mm-hmm. And we don't see and them when they're translated us, to English. Could you give us an example of maybe a Hebrew euphemism found in Song of Solomon that everybody's Absolutely. Heard I can give you bunches of them. Okay. Yeah. Give us Okay. That. In Song of Solomon 8, there's a passage that talks when she's she's with her siblings. The Shulamith is with her siblings. And there's, they're talking about um, 
they make a, the, the comment about if she is a door, then we will, um, how's, I, I might get them backwards, but if she's a door, we'll build, we'll build walls of cedar around her. Okay. But if she is a wall, we'll get towers of silver for her. That's basically what it's saying, paraphrase. But that word door and that word wall, if you look it up in Hebrew and you look at the euphemism, the word for wall means a chaste woman. Okay. 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 I totally would have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. And the word for door means an easily accessible, flirtatious woman. Oh. So what they're saying is, you know, if she's loose, we're going to watch her like a hawk. We're not going to let her out of our sight, basically. Mm -hmm. And if she's a if she's chased, then we will get towers of silver, which silver was what they paid the bride price mm. for for a bride. So so they're talking about their sister. Yeah. And so, but people look read that over and door and wall just go right over right. your head. Yep. But they knew what that meant, just as if I said, "Well, she's a cougar," you would know what she's meant. She's not a cat. <laughs> so um yes. yeah so there's a lot Good. of them a hey, lot so of them speaking that of and we'll get back to more euphemisms but you brought up the siblings like they're talking about her sister and people are like what i thought there was just a man and a woman now some versions will say like friends or daughters of zion or daughters of jerusalem talk right. about this mentor mentee relationship between the woman and her friends or the siblings. Okay. Um, in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamith is the main character. Yeah. She's actually when the, the one that tells the story. She is the protagonist in this story. And she talks many times about Solomon. My lover said to me, my lover this, did this. She, But he never says that. It's always her saying, you know, dialoguing him. Yep. Well, there's also many, many places where she's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. And those, uh, I found that to be one of those things that like gives me goosebumps every time I say it, because, you know, we know what the word daughter means and the daughter, well, in Hebrew, the word daughter does mean a daughter, a niece, a young, uh, a, a, a young girl. It means a, just a young woman in general. Mm -hmm. And so Jerusalem, of course, means, you know, of the of the son of the of the king. And so when she says daughters of Jerusalem, she's not just teaching her friends. She's teaching all of us. It, that word daughter means ancestors mm. forever, young girls forever. So she is our first. Basically, what I say is our first uh, Titus two woman. Yep. Where, yeah, she's the first one teaching the older woman, teaching the younger women about this topic, how to love your husbands. And mm -hmm. so I just think it's really amazing. And they dialogue back and forth. And the daughters of Jerusalem, Jerusalem call her the um, most beautiful of women. Mm -hmm. So there's this, this dialogue that goes back and forth all throughout the entire uh, book of the Song of Solomon in this relationship with her friends and teaching them. And at first, in the first half of the book, she's actually teaching them about purity. Mm -hmm. It's before the wedding. And so mothers can actually take this book and teach their daughters or their granddaughters or whoever it is about this topic, literally using the scriptures. So and good. then in the figure. second, <laughs> yeah. 
And then in the second half of the book, it's about marriage, you know, intimacy and marriage. It's about, it's very erotic. And so, and, and so in the book, her mother's teaching her during the patrol period. That's when mothers taught their daughters how to become a woman and how to get ready for marriage and how to be intimate. And so in this, I teach all about the betrothal. We are actually even in the betrothal right now. Right. People don't realize Jesus, we are separated. During betrothal, they were separated. The bride and the groom were separated. They couldn't see each other for at least one year. Yep. And we have now been separated from our groom waiting for him to come back and take us as his wife. So it's very much in line with the New Testament scriptures about what Jesus teaches us about weddings. Mm -hmm. And so there's just, it, it's it's an amazing book in the sense the research teaches us about um, the, the, the parallels between weddings. And it's very, very spiritual. And at the same time, it's very, very erotic, which is really blows people's mind because you got spirit here, you got er, er, erotic here, and they're intertwined. And most people can't deal with that. Yep. Hmm. So true. Okay. So talk about consummation. Um, you have some <laughs> research around. Well, you, went, you went from betrothal to. I know. So from betrothal now to you consummation. Just jumped everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are my favorite two uh, discoveries is the betrothal is, is, is what's, what's called. Yeah. After the betrothal is called the carry, which um, is where the groom comes back. And he steals her away in the middle of the night with trumpets in the, in the sound of the shofar and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then after that's their wedding day, which is in chapter two of the Song of Solomon. But then they have the next day is their wedding ceremony. And then right after the ceremony, they go back to the father's estate. Mm -hmm. Well, when they do that, um, they don't they don't consummate a marriage like we did. We do today. OK, today we have. A, a ceremony and then we go we leave the chapel or the church or the, wherever it was and we go to a reception hall they take pictures and we sit around and we wait for them to come back and then we party well that's not how it happened back then back then they would come back from the wedding ceremony and they'd go to the father's estate where the wedding chamber was built on the father's <laughs> estate because a groom had to build a wedding chamber to bring his bride back to and so after they would those, get what back, did the, what did the chamber look like? Well, it, it was always supposed to be something very, very beautiful and something bigger and better than what she was used accustomed to. Okay, it was supposed to be something, and the father, it was on his estate, so he had to actually approve it. You're not going to build any junk here, son. You have to do a. You know, this is on my property. It needs to be nice, okay? So it actually had to get the approval of the father. And then the father had to start the wedding banquet. And the father was the only one. See, they would send out invitations to a wedding. There was no date on it. Nobody knew when the wedding was going to take place. Mm -hmm. When the father was ready for the banquet, he'd tell his son, tonight's night. Go get your bride. <laughs> and so as you can see, all of this just flows right into the teachings of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And then they would literally, you know, come, it's time for the wedding. And that's all in the New Testament too. The wedding, mm -hmm. the wedding feast is prepared, come, come. And so um, the wedding feast would be prepared. Father would say, go get your bride tonight. They'd go steal her away in the middle of the night, carry her back. And, and then after they 
would come back from the ceremony, which was usually like on a real, you know, it'd be like on a beach or on a, by a waterfall or on a mountaintop or something like that. They would, usually the weddings were outside, come back and there, they would literally, you've heard the, the, in Ruth, when he said, she said, take the tip of your robe and place it over me. Mm. Well, that's what they would do. That meant it was time to consummate the marriage. So when they'd get back, he'd place, he'd take the tip of his robe and place it over her as a gesture that now it's time to go consummate the marriage. So they would walk into the wedding chamber and go inside and shut the door. And the wedding party would stand outside. Yep. <laughs> Talk about high pressure. Hi. Yeah. Yes. No kidding. The entire wedding party would stand outside waiting for the holy act to take place. And by wedding party, folks, we don't mean just bridesmaids and groomsmen. We mean everyone invited to the party. I don't know that that's the case. I was told the way I discovered it was it was the wedding party and um, the and they would literally stand there. Now, the, the, the all the people would be there. They'd all be waiting, but they'd be waiting for the announcement. Okay. So what would happen is that. When they were done, the bride and groom were done consummating the marriage. He, the groom would take the virginity cloth from under his bride mm -hmm. and he would go to the door. And this is all in the Song of Solomon. And he would take it and show it to everyone. It was very important to do that. Why? One, she had to prove she was a virgin. Because if she wasn't, she could be stoned. Interesting. Yeah. And, and two... Um, you know, it was also, you know, the it was one of those things where they had to prove that the marriage was consummated because the marriage was not complete until it was consummated. Nobody partied or ate anything until the marriage was consummated. Not like we do today where we go, you know, we party, then we go away by ourselves and consummate the marriage. They stayed there, consummated the marriage first. Yep. Then it was complete. Then you then could party. Then they could party. <laughs> And so that was all in the Song of Solomon in chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. Mm. So it's very, you know, and it's in his, and he says in the very beginning of chapter five, eat, drink and be merry. Let's let's celebrate these lovers. Yep. And so um, and that's when they would make the announcement to all the people standing around hungry and thirsty, waiting for them to finish. <laughs> like, please hurry. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's uh... so interesting. Like the way it's set up in the Bible versus how we do it now and and how that actually really creates feelings in us. So mm -hmm. like our modern culture of like, hey, let's party. You got married. Well, you know, we had the ceremony and then go off in secret and... And never talk about Almost it shamefully, again. <laughs> but like, yeah, go, go do that. I, I remember when we went to our, uh, we had our first night and then um, her parents had to come and like pick up some of like the wedding dress and, and take us to the airport. I remember being so embarrassed that I had to see people <laughs> after. I felt the same way. <laughs> I'm like, we, we had to, when we got back from our honeymoon, my husband and I were, had to go to my parents' house. His parents were going to be there. They had all the gifts they had taken after them, yep. you know, and we were going to go over there and open gifts. And I remember sitting in the car going, I can't get out of the car. And my husband's like, why? And I said, because they know what we've been doing. <laughs> it's like, exactly. really? I'm like, yeah. so great. I, I remember that very distinctly. And Chris, it wasn't as um, 
like nervous as, as no. I was. My family was very open. But I remember yeah. being very like, I don't want to really see anybody right now. Yeah. <laughs> but but juxtapose that with the Jewish custom of like, this is blessed. This is wonderful. Yeah. It's a part. The party starts after you do this. Yes. Exactly. Such and a, I, that's such a different. That was what struck me when I yeah. uh, uh, when I understood the consummation is there was no hush hush. It yeah. wasn't done in secret. It was open. It was honored and it was celebrated. Exactly. And they came out, you know, and they could come out and party with everybody. And there was no shame in it at all. Right. And so that to me says volumes about how the church should be handling this. Yes. It's not something that's supposed to be hush hush and taboo and you know, don't say the sex word and, and all of that, that just, and here's the other thing that just blew my mind is that people think there's, there's a lot of theologians that believe that Jesus was the one who performed the ceremony, you know, the wedding where he turned water to wine. They believe that was John. That was um, the disciple John's Hmm. uh, wedding and that he performed the ceremony. If that's the case, Jesus was one of those standing outside as a witness, <laughs> waiting for it to be. And I thought, yeah, I love Yes. <laughs> There's so many good teaching points when we actually study like the ceremony, Bible. wedding. Yeah, the Bible, um, even from just parent to child. And so I had said earlier, like everyone was there, even if they weren't right outside the chamber, they were there at the ceremony right, waiting. So what do you think three-year-old little Johnny asked his mom? What are we waiting for? Yeah, well, exactly. Even if they didn't say in detail what happens during intercourse, they're celebrating this gift that the exactly. bride and groom get to go have this private time to consummate their marriage. And then we're all going to celebrate. Yes. And that that had a huge effect on me. And it's had an effect on a lot of other people and other women. And the other thing that really blew my mind is in the fourth chapter, they have the wedding and then they go back to the wedding chamber. And the entire, and I mean, pretty much the entire consummation of the marriage is in there in the fourth mm-hmm. chapter. It starts with he kisses her, then he French kisses her, then he, and she, he's telling her how beautiful she is. And then he's talking about her breasts and he's going down her body. And then it gets, you know, and it gets very, yes, very heated, but he's using euphemisms. It's all veiled. Mm-hmm. And, and what I say is I really believe that God intentionally veiled this book because when I was in in the seventh grade, I was 11 years old. Somebody told me the Song of Solomon was all about sex. Well, guess what I did? You know, I went home, shut the door and started reading it. Couldn't understand a word of it. But now that it's been unveiled, I'm like, holy smokes, there's so many euphemisms in here that we're missing. They're going right over our heads. And so, and some of them were like, I mean, they're steaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much rated R um, <laughs> uh, that the consummation of the marriage is, is in there all the way from the first kiss, all the way to climax. Yeah, mm. it is. So, okay. Well, let's talk about a few more euphemisms and let's actually prioritize these in terms of the questions that you get asked. You host these events for young women, uh, for young brides. And people have all these questions for you. Start with some of those questions and then how you answer them based on what you see in Song of Solomon. Well, I, I'm, 
I may have already you know, said this, but I just feel like we have the answers in the Song of Solomon for questions like a lot of people have answers to questions. I had all these questions of, okay, um, you know, I, I was raised, you know, in, 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 a, in a home where sex was never talked about. Pornography was very big in, our, in my home. Um, and so I, I had all these questions about, is there certain days of the week? Because I was raised Catholic and they have, mm-hmm. they have all these days and, and rules and, you know, can, can you, can you have sex on Sunday? You know, <laughs> it, you know, all these different can things. You have sex while you're fasting. I didn't even know what fasting was back then, but I know God, I knew God and I just, you know, and I wanted to know God better and I wanted to know what he said about it. And so there was, you know, what about lingerie? Yeah. What about any kind of sex toys? What about, you know, oral sex? What about masturbation? What about all these questions? And I couldn't get answers straight from the Bible. Mm. And I believe that in my book, there are answers straight out of the Bible. Yeah. If we understand the Hebrew meanings of some of these words, um, it, it kind of surfaces. Yeah. And so what I usually do in the book is I'll say, like the very bottom, I have a lot of um, uh, footnotes where I give you the Hebrew meaning. And I tell you right up front, I got all my Hebrew words out of uh, blueletterbible.org. So if you want to check anything I'm telling you, please do. I want you to. But I have the Hebrew meanings in the footnotes so that, and I put put them all down there because I don't want anybody to think I've taken liberty with some of these words. These are and not so, your opinions. Uh, the, this is yes. the actual Hebrew language. And then also your research on Old Testament customs and customs around Old Testament times. Right. And my editor didn't want all those foot. She's like, get rid of them. People. I said, no, I'm not getting rid of them. I want people to know, right, that I did not take liberty. These are the words. And if you want to look them up yourself, you can. But here's what here's what the Hebrew meaning says. So... <clears throat> You know, and when people, a lot of people see it and I've had, I have, I have one woman, um, we sat down in a coffee shop one time and we were just talking about some of this stuff and she just started to weep mm-hmm. and she was like, I, everything you're telling me is just setting me free because I thought that sex was dirty and because of my past, I thought it was dirty. And when you show me and teach me these things. It's like, oh my gosh. And she literally said her her sex life, and she'd been married like 25 years at this point. Wasn't like she's a spring chicken, you know? <laughs> she literally was like, my sex life has never been the same. Her husband's like, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I mean, all the things he, she said, all the things he tried to get me to see that I couldn't see, you did in a couple hours. Wow. So I just believe the book and the, and and seeing what God literally says in his word about yeah. sex will set marriages free yeah. and they will answer those questions that nobody's been able to actually give a book and verse to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I think I want most people to get away with from the book um, and the research. A lot of people love my book because it's very prophetic. I have some people who just, love the prophecy the the, yeah. the rapture is in there it speaks about you know really you know where it ties with the 
New Testament a lot. Mm -hmm. People just literally, I've had people when I'm speaking, when I start talking about the rapture and how it fits with the New Testament and how um, I show you in the Song of Solomon, I can read this. And then I, I teach you, you know, I show you the scriptures in the New Testament and people will just, their mouths will drop open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they've never seen it before. You've read, you know, True. you know, how many times have somebody read the Song of Solomon but never seen it before? Well, I think now people either see the one side that it's only about our, God's relationship with Israel or Christ with the church, and or people know it's a sex book, but people don't realize that it's actually both. It's both. Yeah. And I I put that in there that it's it's like we try to separate those those two so much. Yeah. And in the Song of Solomon, they're actually woven together, mm -hmm. which just blows a lot of people's minds. Because yeah. when he talks about, um, you know, that intimate relationship with our groom and, and all of that, wow. When you start comparing sexual intimacy with spiritual intimacy, it's kind of the same. It's like a, such a similar glue. Yes. Um, and people just really don't want to see it that way. So, and that actually kind of perfectly segues into a question I had. Why, why would it benefit people to actually dive into this? Because, of course, if we start focusing on really the sex and intimacy, it's going to expose some things about me. Mm. that I might have to work on, that I may see differently. I'm challenging myself, right? So that's sometimes very scary for people to change their relationship with their husband or their wife, you know, just because right. of the unknown. It's, it could change things, and that could be scary for people. Why should they venture into that? Like, what is there for them to experience that's only there through this expression, well, one of the the pretty amazing things that I saw in this when I'm in my research is a lot of people don't understand what the marriage bed is. Mm -hmm. They think it's just a, a term. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's not. Um, in fact, what's so funny, I mean, it was actually a gorgeous piece of furniture and it was covered in it was like a canopy covered in these really expensive silks and fabrics. And it was given to the bride um, during her betrothal. And the mother of the bride would teach her how to use it. You know, what you do in this bed. And she would teach her how to make coverings for her bed. Think about that. In all of the Proverbs 31 woman, this blew my mind. Proverbs 31 is the perfect wife, right? She can sew, she can cook, she can garden, she can sell, she can, she cooks for, you know, she's an, a philanthropist. She yep. can do it all. And she is the perfect wife and never was sex mentioned. Okay. <laughs> huh. But it is. I believe it is. Because she said, he said, she makes coverings for her bed. Ah. You made coverings for your bed in anticipation of having sex with your husband. Okay. She set the mood. It wasn't about making quilts and making a bedspread. It was about covering this gorgeous canopy that they would go into and be intimate in together. It was a sacred place. Mm. And so cur curating the space. Exactly. It was a place. It was like this little cocoon that she would decorate, you know, with fabrics 
as a place of intimacy. So when a woman covered her bed and in the Proverbs 30 and in the Proverbs seven woman, the adulterous woman, she tells the guy down the kid down the street, come on, I've covered my bed. Wow. Yeah. They just miss that. Like we would never know what that means. Exactly. So back then when you said I covered my bed, Hey honey, I covered my bed. It's as if we said, Hey, I I just poured some champagne and lit the candles. (laughs) That's kind of what it implies when a woman said I covered my bed, baby, come on. So he's basically saying in the, in the Proverbs 31 woman, she's a great lover. She, and she actually initiates sex. Hmm. Wow. Why and think- I found that fascinating because most people feel like it's the husband that should be initiating sex, not the wife. And in most of my research, it really wasn't that way. It she was actually the- initiates many more interactions, sensual and sexual interactions throughout Song of Solomon than he does. It Well, yes. And in one place, he's kind of out of line. And there's a whole lot of, of that. It's hard to get into that in this short of a time period. But I found that the vast majority of my research pointed to the fact that the woman uh, was the one who set the mood for that in the home. Right. Um, not the man. And I totally believe and see, I started doing these romantic dinners for my husband because I kind of saw that in the Song of Solomon. She says in, uh, I think it's Song uh, of Solomon 6. Or yeah, six where she says, you know, come away with me. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the, you know, go to the country, and I, I prepared for Let's you old and new. Yeah, yeah, and all these things, and there's a lot of euphemisms in there too. And um, and so she's preparing this getaway, and there was a point in my time in my life where I thought, well, if she's doing that, then I need to probably mm. be following her lead. And so I started doing these romantic um, dinners for my husband. Um, and I wrote my first book called Now That's Romantic, where I did these like for anniversaries and birthdays or Valentine's Day or whatever. I would do these dinners and he just absolutely loved them. But what I discovered when I did them was that the process turned me on. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was more for, when he would try to set the mood for me. I actually was doing better with me trying to set the mood for him. I was setting the mood for my own brain. Mm-hmm. And my own, you know, libido. Right. And so I found that it seems to me that this whole covering of the bed was more for her benefit, really, than his. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, I, I was going to, you at, like an, totally answer my question because I was wondering, you know, in our modern day society, the man is always the pursuer or portrayed as the pursuer sexually. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the right. woman's kind of the runner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so right. in this, it's absolutely flipped. Yeah, um, exactly. So it has to I be couldn't find hardly anything the other way around. Hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. So, so interesting. So many um, pieces of wisdom. And we think of Solomon, you know, who had so much wisdom, but so many veiled pieces of wisdom that we we can uncover if we just do the research. And thankfully you've done the research for us. We can just read it. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's I've done it. Um, well, tell us where people could find your book. Well, I, I have a website. Um, my website is kimmore.net. And, or you can find it on sexinthebible.com. Either one will take you to the same place. 
And, um, you know, so, and it has both books there. It has, you know, Unlock, I, which is this one right here. This is the one that's actually on the Song of Solomon right here. That's right. And, uh, and then this one is the Now That's Romantic book. Nice. And this one is where I did all the, the theme dinners and, you know, the fun kind of, it, it gives, it, it's, my husband's like, this is, this will inspire couples. Couples need creativity and you've done that. So I literally, it's all, it's all, it's like a coffee table book. I've got pictures and, That's wonderful. you know, all kinds of uh, scenarios on things you can do. There's, there's um, a heart, what I call a hearts on fire. That's a Valentine's day dinner. Uh, the uh -huh. Caribbean cabana, which was a, like you could do it out by your pool or on a porch. Um, the secluded safari was one I did in, in our bedroom. I have one called the haunted evening, one haunted evening, which was kind of like I had a fog machine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you went all out. That's great. And candles. The very first one I did, the very first ver version I did on that one was actually Phantom of the Opera. Oh my goodness. And I, you know, I did a take on the Phantom of the Opera. I had the, the music going, you know, the white can, all the drippy white candles in the fog. And then I have one called Surrender the Booty because in Tampa we have what's called Gasparilla. It's a pirate holiday that we have here that's okay. real big and um then i have santa baby which is um a, a you know christmas, christmas thing that's yeah. so cute i love it so for people so, wanting some variety uh, right or some ideas that's biblically based go check out this book yeah and it's really um you know it's fun it it, it, it it's just for inspiration and it's 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 a great wedding gift it's a great great you know shower gift yeah. So, or Valentine's gift. So, um, anyway, that, awesome. that was my first book actually. But then what happened was a lot of people still kind of looked at me like, Oh gosh, you know, that's, you know, you're nuts practically, you know, they look at me like I had a third eye. And so that's, I got frustrated. And that's when I said, to, you know, God, nobody wants to hear this book. Mm. Nobody's cares about this topic. Mm. And I got frustrated. And that's when God just, I said, you know, why did you, why did you have me do this? Why? And, um, and he said, you know, it's all, it's a wedding. That's all he said is it's a wedding. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, everybody knows it's a wedding. When he said it's a wedding, uh, I didn't know that that was going to lead to like six years of research. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's what ended up. I birthed the, uh, that baby. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. so good. Well, Kim, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. It's just the tip of the iceberg. People can dig in and learn all the details by grabbing your book. And we will link both of your books in the show notes. So you guys can go okay. grab it there. Uh, we're going to close this episode the way we close out okay. all of our episodes. And that is, we want to ask you rewind back to your first couple years of marriage. You've been married since you were 19 and tell us the advice that you wish you would have received. Fill in the blank, dear young married couple. You know, I think that's pretty easy for me. You've heard my story. Um, I wished, and I think I even say this in the book, is I wish somebody would have taught me about the consummation of the marriage. I wish somebody would have given me permission to enjoy sex mm -hmm. and to see that it was God's, really God's blessing. It's not, it's not ugly. It's not taboo. It's not dirty. And um, I wish so much somebody would have told me that. It would have saved me and my marriage a whole lot of, of, of heartache and, and struggle. And uh, we made it. We've been married 45 years. 
But those first few years uh, were really, really um, not good. I mean, they were, it was, it was, it was a struggle. So it was hard. It was very, very hard to change those mindsets because they were so ingrained. And that's why I wish so much somebody would have taught me some of these things before I got married. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so it, because it is very difficult to change things that are deeply ingrained in your brain. It sure is. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being willing to be here and share your knowledge and your work. It's it's, uh, truly blessed us. Thank you, Kim. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at dearyoungmarriedcouple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.